I'll now be reading from Ruth chapter 4. Ruth is located before 1 Samuel and after Judges, about a quarter of the way through your Bible. And I'll just give you a moment to arrive there. So that's Ruth chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Marlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, 
Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Janine, for... Thanks, Janine, for for that reading. Um, We always test the quality of our readers by throwing in a genealogy and seeing how they handle all those names. And you passed with flying colors. Next time, it's one Chronicles for you. Um, You know what that's all filled with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather today to worship you, to learn more of you, to be encouraged and strengthened by your word, to be rebuked and corrected by it, and to live for you, um, to bring you glory. Lord, we pray that you may speak to us now through your word and by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure all of you know the Christmas story, but do you know the story behind the story? Uh, tucked away in the Old Testament is this little book of Ruth, more, a thousand, more than a thousand years before Mary and Joseph uh, went to Bethlehem and Jesus was born there was uh, another couple in Bethlehem. It's a story like the first Christmas that is set in dark times. The very first verse of this book of Ruth uh, tells us that it was the time uh, when the judges ruled, which, if you don't know much about the judges, doesn't sound too bad. I mean, it must have been law and order and, you know, all of those kinds of things going on. But actually, it was pretty much the opposite. Uh, if you turn just one page back in your Bible to the end of the book of Judges, uh, it gives us a description of what that time was like. The very last verse of Judges 21, verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's quite a a serious situation. God should have been the king of God's people, but instead they were ignoring him and they were following their own heart's desires. They'd obviously been watching a lot of Disney movies. And it resulted, uh, when you read the book of Judges, it resulted in political uncertainty, economic depression, and moral and spiritual decay. By the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, if you've ever read it before, every time I read it, I just feel so depressed by how bad things have really got with God's people. But it's not that different, really, to the world we're living in today, is it? We're filled with political uncertainty, uh, economic depression, and moral and spiritual decay. What makes it worse, though, in this case, is that it is God's people that we're talking about. The very people of of Israel, who are meant to be a light to the nations, have become as dark as everyone else around them. And it seems, at this point in the story, that God's great promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, that, that he would bless the whole world through the seed of Abraham, it seems as though that that promise is going to just become extinguished by the darkness, by this overwhelming darkness that we left with at the end of Judges. But then we turn the page and we start the book of Ruth. And we switch out that wide-angle camera lens that is looking at the whole of Israel, and we put on the telephoto lens. 
And we zoom in, zoom down, 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 down into a tiny little insignificant town that up until this point, no one has really even bothered to know about, the town of Bethlehem. And we zoom in even further into this insignificant town, down to an insignificant little family that no one really cares about. And the story goes even further than that to an insignificant little person of that family that up until now no one knows or even cares about. An Israelite woman named Naomi. You thought I was going to say Ruth, but it wasn't her yet. Naomi, likewise, is living in dark times. Because of a famine, her her husband ups sticks and they go off across the border with their two sons to the neighboring uh, country of Moab, which in fact had been at war with Israel back in the day. And so they, they stayed there. And in the 10 years that follow, Naomi's husband dies and both her sons die. And she returns eventually to her hometown, grief struck and empty-handed. In her own words, in, in chapter 1 and verse 21, you can see it there for yourself. Naomi says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And yet, while she was empty, she wasn't alone. Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, has come with her. And yet, as things stand, it's a pretty bleak situation, particularly for a woman in those days. Two widows, one a foreigner from a nation that had recently terrorized Israel, living in a time when people were doing what was right in their own eyes without anyone to protect them or provide for them. Chances are, if they survived gleaning the scraps from the harvest time and, uh, and managed to make it through the summer or the, the, the end of harvest, Chances are, if they didn't fall prey to wicked and godless men, they might end up starving to death anyway through the winter. It's a pretty bleak situation. It's no wonder that Naomi changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. For as she says in verse 20, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. It's a dark time. A dark time for Israel, a dark time for this woman, Naomi. But that, that's one of the amazing things about this story is that it does not end in chapter 1. That there's more to this story. That, that in the midst of these dark times, and often it is in the darkest of times, that the light of the gospel shines brightest. And that's what we see in this story. That this is a story that shows us hope. Hope even in the darkest of places. And if there's anything that we need now in this world today, what we need in our own lives today is a hope that shines in the darkness. It's a hope centered on a God who is able to redeem for himself a people, to rescue his people from the shadow of death and give them light and life again. It's a, it's a story that's repeated again and again as, as we come to Christ, to come to know him. And we are rescued out of darkness and brought into his kingdom. And even at the end of chapter 1, there are some glimmers of hope. For 
Ruth is no ordinary daughter-in-law. In chapter 1 and verse 16, we are told that Ruth has made a radical commitment, not only to stick it out with her mother-in-law, but more importantly, to stick it out with her mother-in-law's God. So in verse 16, these famous verses that, uh, that, run, that really are the heart of, of this chapter, she says to Naomi, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And she says these words, not just in a cavalier kind of way. She's saying them really, knowing that as she goes with Naomi, she may be going to her death. And yet she is willing to stick it out with Naomi, because she was willing to stick it out with Naomi's God. And her radical commitment not only eventually stirs up Naomi out of her depression, it also stirs up a godly man named Boaz who steps in to redeem the family. And that really kicks into gear in the chapter that we're going to be looking at this morning together, chapter 4, because the word redemption and redeemer just pops up all over that chapter. Um, it's actually a theme that's been running through the book, but particularly strong here. And so before we look at it, let, let me just explain to you for a, a brief moment what this all means. What is a redeemer? Well, at least particularly in the sense of, of what's going on here in the book of Ruth. Well, back in those days, in, in the times of Israel, each uh, man had their own allotted piece of land, and it was connected to their family line. But if that man died before he could uh, have an heir or if his, his heir died, well, this piece of land would become open and it would have to be redeemed. And so, so to continue the family line, what would happen is that the next nearest male relative would purchase the land and pay the debts, that was to redeem the land, and the widow uh, on that land, and they would absorb their debt. But what they could also do, although it was voluntary, what they could also do was redeem the dead man's family line and uh, bring them back to life, so to speak, uh, by having a child with the dead man's widow. And that child would then become the heir of that property. Now, when we get to the end of chapter 3, uh, through all sorts of uh, great little story that, that you need to read for yourself. It's a short book. When we get to the end of chapter 3, we discover Boaz, this godly man, is willing to be the redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Uh, chapter 3, verse 11, he says that he was willing to marry Ruth and become their redeemer. And everyone, if you've been reading the story up to this point, everyone's cheering. This is great. Two great people, godly people, uh, people that we've got to know over the course of this, this story um, uh, that we really like uh, are finally getting together and it's going to be a happy ending. And everybody's beginning to start you know, pulling out all the, the, the rose petals and the violin music and the, the, the butterflies are flying. And then suddenly the other shoe drops. There's a bombshell in verse 12. There is another redeemer. 
a closer relative. Legally speaking, he has first dibs. And so Boaz says, leave it to me. And that's where the chapter ends, on a cliffhanger. So I say, it's a great story. You've got to read it. And, uh, and then what chapter 4 answers is the question of what will happen? Who will redeem Naomi and Ruth? And, of course, we know it will be Boaz. But what is amazing about this chapter is that not only does it set in motion a redeemer for Ruth and a redeemer for Naomi, it also sets in motion a redeemer for all God's people, including you and me today. So for such a tiny little book, only four chapters long, it packs an explosive dynamite finish. And so let me show you how that works. Firstly, let's look at this redeemer for Ruth. Verse 1 to 13 of chapter 4, a redeemer for Ruth. So chapter 4 begins, Boaz now is heading for the city gates. In those days, that was the place where all the business and legal uh, kind of transactions took place. And there he just so happens to meet with his rival redeemer. Um, that's another theme that runs through this book is God's hidden hand in, in all the things that are going on. While God is not front and center in the book, he's there in the background quietly working things out. And here is another uh, place in which we see that. Behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken just happened to come, come by. And so he gets him to sit down, and ten of the elders just happen to come by too, and he gets them to sit down, and now he can have a proper legal uh, uh, action. And so in verse 3, he mentions Naomi sending, is, is selling her dead husband's land, and at that news, the rival redeemer's ears prick up. We don't know if he's been aware of this before, whether this is the first time he's heard it, uh, but now suddenly he's interested because he knows Naomi's too old to have children. And so if he picks up this land, if he pays for it, well, he knows he just has to wait for Naomi to die, and then the land will become his. And so he's got a bit of a deal going here. He could, he could uh, really... Uh, benefit from this. He could add to his portfolio. And so he says in verse 4, I will redeem it. But then at that moment, Boaz throws in the curveball. Boaz says uh, in verse 5, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. See, if he buys this property, it means he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and have a child with her, so that the property will go back to the original owner. Now, suddenly, this deal isn't so rosy anymore, because now, not only will he have a, a foreign wife and a bitter mother-in-law, I mean, that's what she's called herself, bitter, and that's bad enough as it is. Now it's going to be on public record in front of all the elders that he needs to produce a male heir. And that means all the money he's spending on this property is going to be going back to them. It will revert back to the original family. He's going to lose out. In the end, it's a sacrifice he's not willing to take. Now, we can look down on this guy and we can kind of, you know, see him as a bit of the bad guy. Um, but but really, he has a choice here. Uh, the law didn't compel people to take these things on. 
He's just simply unwilling to do it. And so he backpedals, he, he tries to get out of the deal, and he gives Boaz the go-ahead. If he wants it, you, you can have it. You're the next in line. I, I'm not touching this one. And Boaz, of course, is the one who does redeem Naomi and Ruth uh, together. Which tells us something, actually, just as a side note, just how much Boaz is willing to sacrifice for Naomi's dead husband, for a, someone who's not even a close relative, but is kind of like two steps away. He's willing to sacrifice. He's counted the cost. He knows that this will cost him. It's not going to come to him. It's going to go to them. And yet he's still willing to go through with it. He's willing to go through all the legal rigmarole, which when we read it at first and we hear about all these sandals going back and forth and go like, what is all? But, but he's prepared to follow the letter of the law to make sure that this deal, this transaction is totally above board, legal, and, and, and is going to um, be seen by all publicly that he is the one who is prepared to redeem this family. And there's an echo there, I think, of Christ, our Redeemer. He, he came under the law, and he followed the law. And yet, even though he was perfect, without sin, never once broke the law, yet he was prepared to die for lawbreakers like you and me, in our place. He paid the ultimate price we could never pay in his blood on the cross for our sins. And when he did that, he, he provided for us freedom from our slavery to sin. He provided for us life and purpose and meaning and contentment and hope, uniting us to himself, bringing us to life again, as it were, through his resurrection. Praise God that our Lord Jesus Christ did not think us too inconvenient or too costly or too unworthy to redeem. So Boaz redeems Ruth. He declares his intention to marry her. And in verse 11, all the people who are at the gate and the elders pronounce a blessing, not just on Boaz, but notice this, a blessing for Ruth as well. And, and it's an incredible blessing when you think about it, uh, that Ruth now from this point onwards is no longer Ruth the Moabite, which she, she is called throughout the book. From this point onwards, she becomes just Ruth. And and the, the people treat her like any other Israelite. In fact, they treat her even better than most Israelites. They, they pronounce a blessing on her and pray that she will be the best amongst them. They, they say that she's like Rachel and Leah who bore the 12 sons of Jacob, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. They, they say that she's like Tamar, whose son Perez began the Perizzite clan that came to live in Beth, Bethlehem. And it's amazing, really, when you think about it. Through her Redeemer, Ruth is not just simply tolerated as an outsider who kind of got into the, the, the people through a kind of technicality 
uh, that she kind of snuck in the back door and she's kind of not really one of us, but we'll tolerate her. That's not the case. Because of her redeemer, because of Boaz, she is now included in the, the, the household of God. She is part of the people of God. She is a full member of God's covenant people. And as uh, Josh read earlier from Ephesians chapter 2, that's our story as well. When Paul talks of the Gentiles, those who are really non-Jews, those who, who, who are on the outside, which I'm assuming is most of us here today, he says, remember that you were at that time, before you, you came to know the Lord, when you, at that time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It was dark for us. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And just skipping a little ahead to verse 19, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. That's God's people, the holy people of God. And you are members of the household of God. Are those incredible words? The the privilege we have because of Christ, our Redeemer, is not that we just become, you know, second-class citizens uh, in the kingdom of God, you know, grafted in on the side, No, no, no. There's no first class, second class. We are full members of God's kingdom. There is, there is no, there's, there's no class distinction in the Christian faith and in the Christian family. We are one in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. His, his sacrifice for us is so complete that there's nothing that needs to be added. And we're going to be celebrating a little bit later as we share the Lord's Supper together our incredible Redeemer, and how he has saved us. Well, back to Ruth again. The elders' prayer for for them comes true. And so in verse 13, uh, Boaz and Ruth are married, and uh, the Lord enables her to conceive. Again, you see the hidden hand of God. And she gives birth to a son. And we all sigh at this point, those of us who have a romantic bone in our bodies, the fairy tale ending has finally happened. They all lived happily ever after. God has secured a redeemer in Boaz. But hang on, what about Naomi? Because the book starts with Naomi. Ruth only just comes in because of Naomi. What about her? And so we get to see that not only does Ruth have a redeemer, but Naomi also has a redeemer. So what is who is who is Naomi's redeemer? And let's, let's spend a few uh, minutes just talking about that from verse 14 to 16. A redeemer for Naomi. Remember in chapter 1, Naomi said, I went away full. I came back empty. But now at the end of the book, Naomi is filled up. In fact, through the book, she's being physically filled up all the time. I mean, every every chapter ends with her daughter coming back with way more food than than she can she can barely carry all this food. And and as a little family, they are able to to be sustained on this food through the generosity of Boaz, their redeemer. And 
And when we get to the end of chapter 4, it's not just physical anymore. It's, it's everything now that she has been brought back into. She is full in a way she never was at the beginning of the book. And the interesting surprise is who her redeemer is. Because it's not Boaz. Look at what the, the women of Bethlehem say to her in verse 14. They say, uh, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And at this point, we're still thinking, oh, that, that sounds like Boaz, must be Boaz. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Who is Naomi's redeemer? It's this little child that she's holding in her hands. This child who becomes, uh, who will grow up and become uh, Obed. And Obed, his name means servant. That's all we know about Obed. Uh, there's not much else we do know other than that he was Naomi's grandson. But that while she may nurse and care for him and when he's small, uh, one day he will be her nourisher and care for her in her old age. He'll become a restorer of life to her because she's been restored back into the community. The name of her dead husband has been restored again. The family line that was broken has been put back together again. She is now back in Israel again with everyone because Obed has been born. And that's an incredible thing. Now, of course, we know that Obed wasn't simply Naomi's grandson and her redeemer because he's connected with an even greater redeemer, the redeemer of all God's people. And that's that last little bit from verse 18 to 22 that is worth seeing for ourselves. Did I say 22? Yes, 22. And so here we see the redeemer for all God's people. And it's at the end of the story, really, right at the end, that we suddenly get a, a, a realization, if this is the first time you've ever read the story, you suddenly realize this isn't just some tiny little story going on somewhere in the middle of nowhere, off on the side, but this is actually a main story that ties into the big story of what God is doing uh, for the people of Israel and for the whole world. We suddenly realize just how important it was that Elimelech, who is uh, Naomi's husband, how important it was for that family line to continue that it could not be cut off, and that God has been working his purposes, even in these dark times when they're living in the time of the judges, when there was no king, when everyone was doing right in their own eyes, God is quietly going about in the background preparing a redeemer for Israel, a king after God's own heart who will lead his people into a golden age. Because what we're told in verse 17 and in verse 22, I won't bother to reread all those names again. Uh, Janine did such a great job. I don't think I could, I could uh, go any better than that. Um, especially verse 21, by the way. Do we say salmon or salmon? I have no idea. But I think it's salmon. Um, and what the main point of both those things are is that Obed is connected to David. Obed is the father of Jesse. Jesse 
the father of David. And while Ruth and Boaz and Naomi may have not seen this in their own lifetimes, yet because they were faithful to God, they became part of a much bigger story. And their faithfulness played a role in the story. And that story not only had national significance for Israel when David was born, their greatest king, it had global significance when an even greater son of David was born, when he came to earth. And for that, we need to swing to Matthew chapter 1. You knew that we were going to end up here sooner or later. Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1, uh, if you've read the Gospels before uh, and you think, well, I, I should start with the first Gospel, and that's Matthew. And the moment you started, he's got this bunch of names. And you think, what is all that about? Uh, but once you understand the Old Testament story, these bunch of names, or not just a bunch of names, but they are people we have met along the way. And, and it's an incredible genealogy, a family tree of Jesus that connects all the dots together. As verse 1 says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we don't have to go very far to find some of these familiar uh, names that we've just read in Ruth. Verse 3, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerubbabel, Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. See, it's all connected. It's all the family tree of Jesus. And there in this genealogy, in verse 5, is this outsider who's become an insider. There is Ruth, forever remembered for her faithfulness and her inclusion into God's great plans and purposes for the world. It was a dark time uh, when the book of Ruth was written, the story was set, and it was a dark time when Jesus was born. The people of Israel were occupied by the Romans. Uh, Mary and, and, jo- uh, and jo- uh, Joseph are um, two ordinary people. There's nothing special about them. Uh, they're forced to leave uh, the place that they live to go back to their hometown because the Romans decreed it must be so for a census. She is heavily pregnant, uh, and this child is born um, in difficult circumstances. And yet, as the old Christmas carol goes, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And that's the thing to go away with today, this great encouragement. As we prepare ourselves for this Christmas story, I'm sure for many of us it's a story we've heard again and again, and we could easily just kind of glance over it, and and, and we already worked out all the story because we've heard it so many times before. But stop and listen again. Tune your heart in again to this incredible story, a story of our great Redeemer, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the Christ who is God in the flesh. 
tune in to this incredible story of this king who at the end of Matthew chapter 1, the angel tells his parents to name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the true redeemer, the one who will rescue us all. And for all who put their trust in him, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how far on the outside we are, we can come in and become part of of the people of God, fully embraced. And more than that, we can become a part of God's great plans and purposes for this world, that we are joined in to this great story of salvation, that we are joined in with these people that we've read about, that they they are, in to a degree, related to us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ together because we've all been uh, grafted into the same family tree. And no matter how small you are, no matter how dark the situation, no matter who you are, the incredible thing is that when you're connected to Christ, Even the little things you do for Christ are not meaningless and insignificant, but will echo into eternity forever. Perhaps one day soon, our Redeemer will come again. He'll take up his rule. He will judge the world in righteousness. He will destroy all evil and those who stand against him. He will raise up and restore his people who are living for him. That's our happily ever after story that we're longing for. And that means we can withstand the troubles and afflictions of this life because we know the story's not finished yet. That is soon going to come to an end. What a great story. May it strengthen you in dark times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great story that connects us into the greatest story of all. We pray, Lord, that we ourselves would find Jesus as our Redeemer, that our hearts would be refreshed again in the knowledge that we belong to him, that he came to rescue and save, and that we have life and hope and peace in him. And we pray, Lord, that even in dark times as we live, that we may continue to trust in him, to hold firm to him, and to live godly lives that will echo into eternity. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen.